0: Well, good morning again. Uh, so good to see you here this morning. I uh, hope you have enjoyed speaking to those around you, and I hope you'll speak to all of those that forgot to set their clocks back when they show up at the end of the service today. <laughs> Be nice to them. Um, I hope there are no lectionary police here this morning because you were supposed to get 37 verses of Scripture from John chapter 4 as a part of our scripture lesson for today. And I trimmed it down to ten. So if you're not a part of the lectionary police, you're welcome. (laughs) Ten verses of scripture. It's one of the reasons why John didn't get his own year in the lectionary cycle. You know, we're three years in the lectionary and Matthew gets a year, Mark gets a year, Luke gets a year. But the reason why John didn't get his own year, the reason why there's not a fourth year in the lectionary cycle is because John can be just a little bit long-winded. And so when the lectionary committee was getting together and they were trying to decide which scriptures they would make as a part of the lectionary cycle so that over the course of a a period of time, much of the Bible would be presented to the people of God in, in in the context of worship, they decided instead of giving John his own year, we'll just kind of sprinkle him in in the other three years. And so typically John shows up in the lectionary in the seasons of Lent and in the seasons of Easter. Because while John can be a little long-winded, John does a wonderful job of communicating the significant stories of Jesus' life in really good ways. He gives us so many details, and that is true of our scripture lesson this morning. We're in the midst of a sermon series that we're calling Boot Camp. And the hope of this series and the hope of the entire season of Lent is that you and I will participate in a boot camp of sorts, a short, intensive, rigorous training that will help equip us for whatever the future might hold. And so when we're talking about a boot camp of the soul, we're hoping that God would use this season of Lent and this sermon series to to get our souls and our spirits in better shape so that we might be able to face whatever it is that the world might bring our way this passage of scripture today from John's Gospel chapter 4 is our scripture and the title of the sermon today is hydrate hydrate now as a pastor I relate to a lot of committees committees inside the church committees outside the church And if you're a part of committees, then by default, you have to participate in meetings. I'm pretty sure that when I die, should a coroner investigate and do an autopsy, will say he died as a result of too many meetings. And the problem with meetings for me is not that I don't enjoy talking about the important stuff that we often talk about in the meetings. The problem for me is that I'm a morning person. I'm at my best in the morning. By the time 5 or 6 o'clock comes, I am not at my best. In fact, I tell my wife all the time, let's not have any serious conversations after 6 o'clock. I'm just not in the best frame of mind. But unfortunately for me, most of the meetings that I'm a part of are meetings that take place at night when I'm not at my best. And I confess to you that sometimes I find my mind wandering. A few weeks ago, I was actually sitting in a meeting, and I noticed all of a sudden that my mind had begun to wander. And I noticed it because I was paying attention to the water bottles that everybody had brought to the meeting. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, when we're talking about really important stuff, you know, you can tell a lot about people by the kind of water bottle that they bring to a meeting like this. I mean, think about it. There are all sorts of different shapes of water bottles. There are all sorts of different sizes of water bottles. Everybody nowadays seems to have something on their water bottle. It might be a sticker. It might be a a phrase. It might be a picture. Uh, I noticed yesterday when I was with Lewis that his water bottle has a Florida gator on it. Where are you, Lewis? That'll get you kicked out of most churches, see? See? you can tell a lot about people by the kind of water bottle that they bring with them now i'm going to guess that most of you here don't have water bottles with you in the sanctuary this morning Uh, the reason why you don't maybe because you were taught as a child that a sanctuary is a sacred place that it's been set apart and that you shouldn't have any food or drink in the sanctuary except the bread of life and the cup of salvation that is brought forth for Holy Communion. And then there are some of you that really didn't know that, and you may not even think about the sanctuaries being especially set apart or sacred, but you just saw the signs that are right there on the back of the door. It says, no food or drink in the sanctuary, Lewis. <laughs> so you may not get a sense in this setting, about how people are different or what you can tell about a water bottle, but I hope there are no food or water police in the sanctuary this morning because as distracting as it is to hear Lewis gulp that big water bottle or distracting as it is to hear you unwrapping the noisiest piece of peppermint candy that God ever put on the face of the earth, If that water or that peppermint candy keeps you awake and keeps you alert and keeps you open to receiving and responding to the Word of God, then I can't speak for the trustees or the church as a whole, but as a pastor, I'm okay with you taking a sip of water or eating a piece of peppermint candy every once in a while. You see, water is an important thing for us. It's an important theme in our scripture lesson this morning. In fact, if I had subjected you to the entire fourth chapter of John's gospel, you would know that the whole reason that Jesus leaves Judea and is on his way to Galilee is because there's been a controversy about water. There's a controversy brewing about baptisms being performed by the disciples of Jesus and baptisms that are being performed by John and his disciples. And so Jesus just kind of up and says, I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to go from Jerusalem, uh, to, from Judea, all the way to Galilee. And this is when John provides the first little nugget for us. He says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, technically, that's not really true, uh, Technically, Jesus could have gone around Samaria and avoided it altogether and gotten from Judea all the way back to Galilee where he was planning to go. Uh, technically, good Jewish people would never go to, through Samaria anyway because of some of the reasons that Reverend Martha mentioned in the children's lesson this morning. And yet John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, why in the world did he have to go through Samaria? Well, I'm guessing that one of the reasons why he went to Samaria is because Jesus was all about breaking down barriers that had been erected between people. And so that might have been one of the reasons why Jesus had to go through Samaria. But he might have had to go through Samaria because Jesus knew that he had a divine appointment with the woman that he would meet at the well. So Jesus and his disciples, they leave Judea, they're walking through Samaria, and John gives us another glimpse of what's going on here. He says, Jesus got tired from all of that walking. And so while the disciples went on into town to try to find some food, Jesus just decided to sit a spell at Jacob's well. You like what I did there? Sit a spell at Jacob's well. It was about noon, John tells us, the hottest part of the day, and Jesus is sitting there at the well, waiting on the disciples to return at least, but maybe waiting for the woman to come to the well. And when she comes to the well it's unusual. It's not unusual because she, a woman, came to the well. As Reverend Martha said, women were responsible for gathering the water for their families in Jesus' day. They would oftentimes come in the morning and get enough water for the day. They would come back again in the evening and get enough water for the night. Uh, So it wasn't the fact that this woman came to the well. It was the fact that she came alone And it was the fact that she came in the hottest part of the day that made it unusual. Women typically came to the well together as a group. It was a part of their communal life. It was an opportunity for them to catch up. How's your mama and them? You know, just trying to figure out what was going on in each other's lives. And you certainly wouldn't come during the hottest part of the day. And so when this woman comes she comes in an unusual way why is that do you think well biblical scholars have been trying to figure this out ever since why in the world did this woman come alone why did this woman come in the heat of the day Uh, many say it's because this woman for some reason or another had been ostracized from her community Uh, for some reason or another she had been marginalized by her community In, in some way or another she had been isolated by others or she was isolating herself she's coming in the middle of the day and she's coming by herself perhaps because she's hiding something or perhaps because she's got something to hide and that may be why Jesus is at the well because Jesus knows that the only reason people come to the well at that time of day is because they've got something to hide Because they are hiding something. And so when this woman shows up at the well, Jesus asks her for a drink of water. It blows the woman away because men don't talk to women in public during Jesus' day. Jews and Samaritans don't uh, like one another. In fact, a good Jew would consider a Samaritan unclean. And so if you took a drink out of her water bucket or with her ladle, then you would be unclean. Uh, There's so much going on here, but he asks her for a drink of water, and she asks him, why do you want it from me? And Jesus said, well, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink of water, you would allow them to give you living water. Now living water to this Samaritan woman, in her mind she's probably thinking about a fresh stream, flowing water, water that's not like percolating at the bottom of a well out of the ground below. And and she'd been a part in this area for her whole life. Surely she would have known if there was a place where you could go and get this kind of living water. And so she is wondering what in the world Jesus is talking about. Jesus seems to be talking about living water in a more metaphorical sense. Jesus seems to be talking about living water in the same way that Jeremiah talked about living water in the Old Testament book in the second chapter where he said that God is a spring of living water. In fact, in John's Gospel, just a few chapters from here, in chapter 7, John will go on to have Jesus saying that, that, that about streams of living water. And Jesus says that these streams of living water is, in fact, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being made available to us. And this Holy Spirit, as Reverend Martha talked about, this living water, is able to hydrate you in a way that the water in Jacob's well can never do. And perhaps the greatest thing that John has Jesus saying about this living water is that it is a gift. And then all of a sudden after he's had this warm, fuzzy conversation about living water, Jesus says, hey, and go get your husband. And and the woman says, well, I'm not really married. And Jesus said, well, I know you're not married, and you haven't been married to the five previous guys. You've had five other husbands as well. Um, It's as if Jesus bringing this up is not to shame this woman because she's been shamed enough. I think that Jesus wanted to get to this part about her past because Jesus wanted her and us to know something. And that is this, whatever you have done in your past doesn't preclude you from receiving the gift that Jesus has for you in the present. I believe that that's what's going on here. And Jesus also wants her to know that he knows what she is hiding. He knows why she is isolated. It's because of her past, I think, that the woman then begins to bring up this whole conversation about mountains like which mountain should I go to worship God? Because the Samaritans had one mountain that they thought you needed to go and worship God, and the Jews had another mountain that they thought that you needed to worship God. And if this woman really is concerned about her past, if she really is worried about her sin, then she wants to make sure that she's doing the right things to be forgiven of her sin. And in Jesus' day, worship, regardless of which one of those sacred mountains you went to, was all about sacrifice. You were supposed to go up on this mountain... ...and you were supposed to take something to offer as a sacrifice... ...something of value. And what you would do is you would put that something on the altar... ...and you would burn it. And and you would hope that the smell, the aroma of whatever it was... ...that was burning on that altar would waft all the way up to God. And that God would be so pleased by that aroma that God would allow that to be the substitute for your sins and that you would receive an atonement for your sins or forgiveness of your sins from that beautiful fragrance that went up to God. And what Jesus seems to be saying here is that where you worship, not important. What you give as a sacrifice, not important. What is important is how you worship. And as I read this text, I think that the theme that comes away for me is that what Jesus seems to be saying is that we should focus first on what God gives, not on what God demands God demanded those sacrifices to be made on those mountains. That was their understanding of the Old Testament Scripture that had been presented to them. But Jesus is saying, while that may be important, I want you to focus not first on what God demands, but I want you to focus on what God gives. I want you to receive the gift that I have come to give. I want you to receive this living water because it is the power of the Holy Spirit. It will hydrate you in a way that the water of this well will not hydrate you. It will prepare you and equip you for whatever it is that the future may hold for you. It will hydrate your soul. I want you to know that the same thing that was true of that Samaritan woman is true for each one of us today. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Your past does not preclude you from receiving this gift of living water, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that this living water coming into your life, if we make room for it, and we allow our lives to be shaped and molded by the power of the Holy Spirit, will hydrate us in a way that nothing else will, and it will prepare us for whatever it is that life throws at us. It is a good thing for us to hydrate ourselves with this living water if we want our spiritual lives and our souls to be in the very best shape they can be in.